Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on February 1st. January is in the books. The Australian Open 2023. Also in the books. It was glorious while it lasted. We have our singles champions. Arena Sabalenka is a Grand Slam champion. She defeats Elena Rybakina in a stunning three-set final on Saturday, which kicked off a great weekend of finals. On Sunday, it was Novak Djokovic's turn. He defeats Stefano Tsitsipas in straight sets, claiming his 22nd Grand Slam title, tying him with Rafael Nadal on the all-time men's singles Grand Slam titles list. Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now editor, is here to talk with me about those great finals and a few other hot topics that we wanted to cover from the second week of the Australian Open. So we're going to chat it up for about 30, 40 minutes, and we're going to get to that interview right now. We will see you guys on the other side. Hey Richard, welcome back. It's, did you get some rest after um, yes. the Australian uh, Open? Rest recovered and uh, rejuvenated as well. <laughs> Good man, it was <laughs> it was wonderful spending some some late nights and early mornings. It was hard to tell the difference. A lot of times it would be super late night for me in California, super early morning for you, and I appreciate that I was able to make the handoff to you to finish off the, each day of the Open. Um, and now it's over, and there's nothing but good vibes, really, or mostly good vibes to talk about with the way things went down. History was made on the men's side, and we saw really uh, inspiring and uh, engaging women's final. And, and uh, we saw Arena Sabalenka finally have her moment in the sun. So, I mean, let's start with Novak and what we saw on Sunday, a history-making victory for Mr. Djokovic, one that we expected, but one that was, certainly wasn't easy for him to obtain. Yeah, tremendous performance, especially because now we're learning through what Craig Tiley is saying, that he played with a three-centimeter tear in the hamstring. And people were questioning if the hamstring issue was legitimate or just like like a prop or a card play, but it sounds like that he's claiming he saw the MRI as a legitimate tear in the hamstring. So that that's really remarkable, although, like you said, not surprising because we all thought he was a favorite going in based on the track record in Australia, the dominance at the Australian Open, and also Adelaide, where he had the test and some tough matches, especially with Court in the final, saving championship point, but even with Medvedev before that. So, it, yeah, it was a tremendous performance, and, you know, that dominance to win your 10th there, 28 straight victories in uh, oh, at Australian Open, 41 in a row on Australian side. Like, he owns the continent, and, uh, you know, obviously to match Rafa, but also to regain world number one, because a lot of us thought in recent years, like, that wasn't even the objective anymore. It was just about the majors, and also, obviously, with the COVID issue where he couldn't even play some Masters events, it didn't seem that realistic. But then you looked at the points he piled up last year with that limited schedule and 
it became realistic. And the final for me was even more dramatic because it was the battle for number one, but also another intergenerational clash, the widest age gap in the history of the Australian Open men's final, 11-year difference. So you're like, hey, is this... Steph's time. Is he going to step up and bump the older man off the stage? And you saw Novak just totally reassert his dominance, but also for me, the emotion after just the sobbing with his mom and his brother and Goran in the whole box. You saw how much he had invested physically, spiritually, mentally, but just really emotionally. It was like such a relief off his shoulders. So that was, it was very moving to see. And I thought the final was a good final, even though it was straight sets. I thought Steph played better than, you know, when I watched the replay, wow, he played better than I thought. It's just a big point. Novak just snuffed him out every time, especially the set point, the oh, seconds man. when he had the set point. To me, that was the backbreaker. Once he went up two sets, forget it. It's over. Too passive on that set point you're referring exactly. to. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. And I think that, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was fairly close, and there were a lot of um, – those turning points where Stefanos just didn't have the answer. And I think that was due to him not having the answer, not not stepping up and making things happen. You have to do that if you're facing Novak Djokovic. You have to come up with something very special in those moments. And Steph didn't have it there. And that's the part that disappointed me. Then again, as you mentioned, the match was pretty close. And he wasn't that far off. He just could not really make big points happen. And wasn't like he's getting completely blown off the court he was holding his serve and kind of holding his own um it's tricky right it's tricky it's hard for me to feel great about Stefanos's performance in the final we can talk about him for a bit it is however easy for me to feel good about how he played overall at the tournament and how this sets him up for the future clay is probably his best surface where he's got the best chance of winning his slam. I think he's setting up to really have a nice clay court season, have a good spring, and, and potentially be right there in the mix again and maybe have another shot at Novak Djokovic. Yeah, those are all great points, and I think we, you you hit it on the head. We can look at it both ways. I mean, you've got to look at it as the totality of his performance and how he played to get to that point. He played really, really well. That's his first final on a hard court, you know, second career final. It's just that he ran into Novak in both finals. So I think there's a lot of positives to take. He was within a win of the world number one ranking and a, and a maiden major, which is his dream in life. So it was right there. He was right there. But I, I think you're also right that if you're going to win a slam, especially against one of these legacy iconic champions, you've got to make the magic happen. You can't wait for the lightning to fall into your lap. You've got to take it. And, and you've got to be crazy. You've lost to him nine times in a row. It's set point, like you said, 15-shot rally, and you're just kind of waiting, hanging for him. He's not going to miss. He's just not. The guy is not going to miss. He hasn't lost on that court in four years. You just can't wait for it to happen. You have to, you have to make it happen there, and he didn't. But that said, you can't let that detract from the whole performance overall and getting to that, you know, that made major final on a hard court is a big step forward. Also, this guy doesn't get the credit that he deserves. He's last year led the tour and wins. He's always among the tour leaders and wins. That tells you he's durable. That tells you he comes to play. And I think the other big positive he can take is he hasn't scratched the surface of what he can do in terms of the totality of his game. He didn't come to the net that much. He doesn't slice that much. In fact, McEnroe on ESPN at one time, at one point in the third set, he said, you know, Djokovic has a better one-handed slice 
then sits a pass, and he goes, that should not happen. A two-handed player should never have a better backhanded mm-hmm. slice. So I think there's little areas just fine-tuned. But he served well. He had 15 aces, like, against three double faults. He had a share of winners. But like you said, on the big points, when Novak gets him pinned on the backhand, what are you going to do? Like, you can't. And Novak came out and broke his forehand down from the beginning. So if he takes your best shot yeah, away, problem, what are you going right? to do? Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You're just going to try to scramble back? Dude, it's not happening that, that way. That must so, be disconcerting for him because exactly, he's so good with exactly. the forehand. And you can't, he's human. You can't, you can't fall. You feel the same way. Exactly. Disconcerting, it's a good word. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were times, you know, set two was really the big set where you think it really tumbled for Tsitsipas. I think that Djokovic had the fall. It was 3-3-30 all, and you're thinking, here's a moment to capitalize. Djokovic is really kind of catching his breath and not maybe not ha- having his eyes on the prize for a minute. Wasn't able to do it there. A couple games later, he did get the break point, and that's the one you mentioned where he kind of got tentative in the rally, and then I think the breaker was uh, he got from 2-4 to 4-4 in the breaker and then a couple misses and it was quickly 6-4 Djokovic. So there were there were chances there sure. to change yeah. the, the complexion of that match and it just didn't happen. And I think, hey, he's number three in the world now. He had a shot at being number one. He's hungry. He's proven that. that he's he, And he is evolving to, you know, to point back to what you mentioned about his game and maybe some of the deficiencies, the return, the backhand still isn't perfect. It looks so much better in so many matches, but you get under a different kind of pressure against Novak Djokovic. And I think it's, you know, now it's nine straight losses, I think, or 10 straight against Novak for Stefanos. I think there there have to be lessons there. And if he takes them and continues to work on his game, I, I think a lot of the work he's done with Philip Hoos is to be a more aggressive player. I mean, he's kind of solved the Medvedev challenge to an extent, so there are improvements happening, and if he keeps on this arc, he can get places and get that Grand Slam title. And, of course, Djokovic isn't getting any younger, although it appears like he is. It appears like he might have two or three more years left of domination. You know at some point there are going to be opportunities. But I, um, And I want to talk more about the other players around, around Tsitsipas' caliber, the Medvedevs, the Rublevs, and why they aren't really showing up in these slams and why Djokovic is able to kind of run roughshod through this draw as he did. But... Not yet, because I want to stay on Djokovic yeah. a little bit more. It's pretty incredible. All the ex- you mentioned the emotions, the raw emotions, the tears, him crying, you know, being in a huddle after the after the final with his team, laying on the ground and crying for one two minutes, back to his chair, still crying, and you realize how much he's been through. This guy got deported from Australia last year. It was a, it was a tricky situation. He's faced a lot of public criticism, and. N- and on top of that, the fact that he got the hamstring injury in Adelaide just at the wrong time, how difficult this was for him to overcome everything. And yet, he was able to be pretty much flawless in this tournament. And now he's on top of the all-time Grand Slam singles title list, sharing it with Nadal. He's got he's into his 374th week at number one. He's probably going to hit 400 this year. Nobody's ever done that in singles. I mean... Uh, he's he's twenty and zero after reaching the semis at the Australian Open in semis and finals. He's got his ninety third title. He's ahead of Nadal in that statistic. He's won seventeen straight in Australia against the top five. It's just there's so many stats you can just go up and down and just reel them off. But I don't even know what to say about this guy. But I heard an interesting conversation on Ben Rothenberg's podcast. No challenges remaining. And I, uh, apparently a reader had texted him and said, why is Djokovic so much more dominant at Australia compared to New York? 
I figured I'd just ask that randomly because I found I said that is interesting when you think about it because he clearly is with ten titles now in Australia and just three at the U.S. Open. Although we know he could have one or two more, but why do you think? What do you think the difference maker is for him in Australia? It's a great question. I think part of it is just the um, environment that he's a guy that likes to escape from the tournament to the tranquility of some sort of you know natural thing just to clear his head in new york is much more chaotic in fact he's for several years he stayed in new jersey because it's just more just to get away from that craziness Joy-Z. Joy-Z. i think new york it's just a much more chaotic crazy invite it's just a much more intense situation just in terms of there's more people there's more noise there's just more stuff around you whereas i think australia he has a little bit of a nature refuge that he yeah. can sort of clear his head and get away from it all and then you don't have everybody in your face 24 7 yeah okay do you think it's you don't think it's surface balls do you think it's maybe he goes through a lot every season and let's face it the u.s open is after wimbledon and after a lot of other big challenges that he has usually risen to do you think it's that at all uh you know i i tend to doubt that only because if you look at his performance in the master's that's leading true. That's up true. to that, yeah. I mean, he's done. He's been successful. I mean, I mean, I don't know. He's had big wins there. He's only won three compared to ten. I mean, I guess, I guess what you said about the durability fact. Although I consider him one of the most durable champions ever. Yeah, it's the end of the year. He's banged up, stuff like that. But some of the matches, it to me, it was more emotional than physical. The loss to Stan in the fourth round, where he retired. I mean, to me, that was more. He just didn't seem there. And then obviously the Karina boost of the whole incident hitting yeah, yeah. the lines. That was more of an emotional. Impl- I mean, he had that tournament was there for him. I guess you could say the loss to Medvedev. That was definitely a combination of the two because physically he was probably on fumes. Mm-hmm. With everything that, with the Olympics and all that, and also just the pressure of the moment. So, but that's an aberration because you're playing for a Grand Slam, and that yeah. doesn't happen that often. I don't, I don't think the surface is that much of a difference because he's great on any hard court. Yeah. I mean, he's the best hard court player. He's won 13 majors on hard court. Serena Williams is the only other player there with 13. They have the and. He he will break that record, I think. So yeah. I I don't necessarily think it's the certain the balls. I don't know. They've Good changed stat, the balls. Good stat. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The only other thing I can think about is maybe Rafa's a little better at the U.S. Open, and, and of course Rafa can present problems and complicate draws and make. Well, make so Rafa's support at the U.S. Open is overwhelming, whereas Djokovic gets great support in Australia. You heard the Serbian fans; oh, yeah. they shouted for sure. the Greek fan. They totally took the Greek fans out. I mean, they were totally much. I felt. Whereas in New York, Rafa has major support in New York. Okay. Yeah. I mean, interesting. I think it'll be interesting to see if he can probably pop through and take a few more titles in New York. Uh, I mean, what I love about him is any challenge you throw at him, he takes it as a challenge. How am I going to figure this out with the hamstring? If you read Goran's press or saw his press after, Goran made a great point. What they did was let's just go after the forehand. Let's just attack with the forehand. Try to dictate more with the forehand. Hit the forehand bigger. He did that. I mean, he did that beautifully. Goran said after he felt that was the best Novak had hit the forehand in a two-week tournament since he been coaching him. Maybe not the final. He said the final maybe it wasn't as precise as the other match, but he said the way he attacked the forehand specifically, and that was the plan because of the hamstring, and he did it beautifully. So I think some stuff like that, it kind of motivates him, like how is he going to respond to the crowd? He did the charity XO with Kyrgios, really won the crowd. Like everyone got behind him, you know? So I think stuff like that, it almost, he's been around so long, almost those additional challenges or things for him to think about and consider and try to figure out. Yeah. 
I think you're, I'm glad you hit on that um, Djokovic hitting the forehand and attacking more. It's amazing how he can play different styles of tennis and matchup based or, you know, the fact that he has an injury might play into it, surface based, like how he's been able to do so much at Wimbledon, improve his serve. His serve is ridiculous these days. It seems like it keeps getting better. And that's the beauty of Djokovic. That's that's one of the things that stand out to me. Why he's so incredible, and why, in the, when it's all said and done, he might in, it may indeed be called the goat, not one of the three goats, it's because of the way he's been able to kind of transform himself year after year, and how he has this diversity of tools that he can break out and use in any situation against any opponent. And that's the crazy thing: the way he can play this fast courts tennis and, and out serve people who we know to be the best servers in the game like he's a great spot server now he's got pace on it i mean and then yeah and then he's attacking with the forehand and playing this different style of tennis than he normally would maybe if he was a little bit healthier and then his experience that's the last thing i mean though he used his experience in this final he played that point that we mentioned about and we keep mentioning uh Sitsipas's set point he just said go ahead and take it from me like i'm gonna force you to this is my best chance right now and if you do take it then I'll I'll figure something out in the third set. He just was so calm about that, and it worked. Like he, he's it's like calling call, calling Sitsipas's bluff or something. It's 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 crazy. He he's just so much, so many years, and so many Grand Slam finals doing it, and just knowing the proper way to go about his business. So there's so many good things to say about Djokovic, right? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and his game, I think, you know, you hit it right on the head. His game is just more complete. He has more shots. He's like, uh, you know, a 50-piece orchestra, and he's playing Rublev, who's like, you know, a heavy metal thrash guitar player, but he can't play jazz. He can't play, <laughs> Good one. you know, classical music. He He's really, really great at one style, but Djokovic is an orchestra. He can produce any style that the situation calls for. Also, I think from if you look at it from the opposing point of view, like if you saw the Demon Hour, like he just destroyed mm-hmm. Demon Hour. Oh, like if you're the other guy, it's basically a baseline. Get with the exception of Cressy, nobody, you know, people just don't come to the net like in the Sampras era. So how are you going to beat him from the baseline? Because he's the most balanced in terms of his backhand, forehand, either side he can beat you off either wing also that he can play closer to the line than a lot of these younger guys he's better taking it on the rise his timing is better you know to take some of those big forehands from sits pass early create a sharper angle cross court or hit the diagonal the inside out for him i mean that's amazing eye hand coordination and timing that he can do it off of 80 mile an hour ball it's amazing his redirect skills so you just can't to me you can't straight up beat him from the baseline unless it's a clay or a slower court like rafa obviously huh? it's just it's just too much because he can also take your time away with his ability to play close and also like McEnroe said in that backhand the backhand he has a really good low slice he can bring you in he can change up the height the tempo of the rally like that so it's very, very tough to to beat him from yep. the bait. I mean, it's really hard. 
Yep. And the last thing I'll say is longevity. He, he, he made that comment about 35 being in the new 25, but he sure made it look like that. And now he's got 10 slams after turning 30, which ties Serena's record. It, it looks, it sure looks like he's going to get more. I mean, you know, the hamstring injury was, was obviously an issue, but I mean, imagine how it will be without a hamstring injury. <laughs> Exactly, that he moves better, even like you said in the final with the falls and the stumble, he still moves better than anybody you've ever seen move on a hard court, his ability to track down the ball, get the ball back on the stretch, it's, it's phenomenal, his yeah. flexibility, his athleticism, and the other just last point I want to make quick is, you know, the irony is we, a lot of us thought, well, wow, you know, a year ago this time, wow, after this, this thing might just blow his whole shot at, at, at mm-hmm. getting the grand slam because this whole COVID thing might kill it. Now, in retrospect, the time off him able to heal his body, really fine tune his game, physically get fit, get the hunger. Maybe that's going to add another five slams to him that they press pause on his quest. Maybe, maybe it when when all is said and done, maybe it just sort of jump started everything all over again and gave him a, a, a moment, a sense to step back. And to see, here's where I'm at right now. Here's where I want to go. Now, here's, I have three months to try to figure out how to get there kind of thing. Yeah. Remarkable stuff. Let's switch gears. Let's go to the women's final, which was a day earlier. And it was certainly the more intriguing final and the more uh, dramatic final. It was a brilliant battle between Irina Sabalenka and Elena Rybakina, won by Sabalenka, who claims her first major title. She pops up to number two in the rankings, back to her career high, but really it was a story of her overcoming demons, overcoming herself, being her own sports psychologist as she goes through a difficult time and you know, turns into this calm tiger who's able to to weather all the all the turbulence that happened during a Grand Slam and emerges victorious. What are your initial thoughts on what she was able to do in Australia, Richard? Well, just phenomenal final from both of them. I mean, I mean, Rabakina is a Wimbledon winner. She is a great and 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 Sabalenka played like even if she would have lost the match, she the way she conducted herself, the way she handled the moment, like a, like a champion. What I loved about it is afterward where she made the comment, you know, because it was such a tough, even the last game where she double-faulted, she's facing Brett. I mean, she could have got broken there, and then who knows what would have happened. But I loved her comment at the end where she said, I'm glad it was hard. I'm glad it was tough. I wanted it to be hard. You know, that's a, that's what a champion does, accepts the, the challenge. She didn't want to roll. She knew it was going to be hard. It was hard, and it was a hell of a match. And, wow, what a way to win your first major and to burst out of the blocks you know, undefeated on the season, also the first Grand Slam champion under a neutral flag because of the of mm-hmm. what's going on with uh, with Belarus. So a lot of it, and also I think a big thing for her was that she had won the doubles there a couple years earlier with Mertens, that she had been on that, even though it's doubles, not so that she had been in that moment before. And uh, I think you said it well, that it was self-coaching. It was realizing, look, my serve is a mess. I'm serving underhanded. I can't locate the box. <laughs> I have a problem, I need help, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to fix it, whereas a lot of players might have pressed pause and said, look, i got to take two, three months off, or, you know, just totally rebuild. I mean, she just kept going, plowing through, and that she was able to solve it, and you saw in the last game where if the demons were going to come back and, 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 and tear her down, that was the moment with the double fault, and she hit some big second serves, just kept going for it, and... uh Wow, what a courageous performance, and really, really happy for her after all she's been through that she endured. And uh, I think it's just a great lesson overall if you have any weakness in life, whatever it is. That yes. You, 
just keep going. She just didn't give up. She just didn't give up. She said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to face it and I'm going to fix it. And she did. Yeah, very inspiring. Really moving to, to watch her overcome. 17 aces in the final against seven double faults. In the first set, it, first first point of the match was a double fault. And you're thinking, huh, this might be a test that proves yeah, too difficult yeah. for Sabalenka. But no, not, yeah, not the case Every at all. Every time she double faults the crowd, there's always like a murmur <laughs> like, uh-oh, is something going to happen? You know, it, yeah, you know, she did just play fine. the music in the horror movie before the slasher comes out. You know, you start thinking for both thoughts she would yeah, yeah she held it together also that she had so many breakpoint chances and Rabakina played great on a lot and she didn't let it blow her mind whereas in the past I think she was like three for 13 on breakpoints or she had a bunch of she had many many more breakpoints and in the past you would see her get frustrated or you know slam some shots off the back wall or into the and she didn't she just accepted look it's gonna be hard I gotta just keep going and and uh, she handled that well too the frustration Part. She definitely outserved Rybakina, not by much, but by enough with a higher first well, serve percentage. Well too. Yeah, 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 nine aces, one double. She had a higher first serve percentage. They both won the same amount of first serve points. She won a little bit more of her second serve points. Just she had the edge over really someone that we consider like this crazy uh, out of her head type server who was serving extremely well. So that's impressive in, in and of itself. 51 winners against 31 for Rybakina. But what I love the most is how she overcome the challenges of difficulty early i think she's won now seven straight at the slams when she's dropped the first set so this person that we thought was this emotional train wreck is that transformed herself into like a very calm and stoic figure these days and let's hope that it holds but the fact that it did and she came through and won this grand slam and gosh she's only 24 did you think she definitely has the potential to win more I was blown away. I think in the, I think it was the third set. I think it was maybe the three-three game or one of those games where she just really became unlocked. And her average forehand speed in that game, whichever one it was, was eighty-seven miles per hour. And her backhand was eighty-three in that game. She's just going completely firing on all cylinders, and she took that mode all the way to the finish line to fin- to finish off. Really, just uh, just an unbelievably cool and and like enriching kind of title it's just cool to see players we know their stories we've seen we've seen Sabalenka I mean really she burst onto our radar in 2018 with a that huge first rounder a fourth rounder at the U.S. Open with Naomi Osaka she wasn't able to lose that match that many people considered a de facto final in the round of 16 and she's had you know sort of rough luck at the slams all the way through and all the problems we mentioned but here she is coming through that's why we should be careful next time we think a certain player, player X or player Y or player Z doesn't have what it takes to win a slam, doesn't, you know. And we thought that about Novak Djokovic, by the way, when he was having all his breathing difficulties and struggles with his fitness from, you know, 2008 to 2011 where he was stuck on one slam. But now 21 more slams later, we kind of know we shouldn't have doubted him at that point either, right? Yeah, it's funny how Grand Slam, the, these moments can shatter the stereotypes and just blow up all these misconceptions. You could say the same thing about Serena. After she won at 17, there was that period where she didn't win it at all. Serena's going to go Hollywood. She doesn't want to play. She wants to be an actor. You know? And then look what happens, you know. So, And you're right on about Novak. People are like, this kid's soft. He's got game, but he doesn't have the heart. He's got these breathing. He's, he's always faking stuff. I mean, that was a late 
dogged him his whole entire career. Even now, people are still saying this stuff. So I think it's just a great stage for them to really rise up and show their character, and both did. And, I mean, credit to her, like you said, her record in three sets, especially after losing the first set. And this was someone who was really labeled as a bit of a head case who was just too emotional. You know, she was just gripping rip, didn't think a lot. If you really watch some of the earlier rounds, she hit some nice drop shots, a few nice slice approaches. She did use a little bit of subtlety. Obviously, she's a power baseliner. That's how she wins. But I thought one of the keys in that final was her ability to hit the ball and control the ball on the move. She's a slightly better scrambler. And when you're playing someone who hits as big as Rabakina, you're going to have to play defense whether you want to or not. And a few of those behind the baseline, she's on the stretch. She flicks it back and gets back, scrambles, get back into the point. You know, she understood, like, look, I'm going to have to defend sometimes, and, and, and it's okay. You know, I don't have to just go for the screaming winner. So she played the situational tennis very, very yeah. shrewdly, I thought. And that just, you know, sort of reinforces what you were saying earlier about her ability to really rise up in three sets. And that shows that she is a smart match player. She's not just this Amazon strong woman who just goes out and blasts. Although she, like you said, with the forehand, she just lit it up. It was like watching Safin when he was on fight. She just lighting, hitting the ball so clean. And she has some pretty big back swings. And I think that's going to serve her well on every surface. You've already seen her at the U.S. Open semis. You've seen her at Wimbledon. I think she can do it in on the clay, too, because it gives her a little more time to really set up and hammer the ball. And she has depth to her game. She can come to the net, and she moves well for her size. I mean, she's not like the greatest mover. I'm not saying that, but for her height, because she's tall, you know, she yeah. gets around the well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe, you know, she's going to be unlocked to a certain degree. Now we'll just see how it plays out. I wonder, right. I wanted to ask you how you felt about what does it mean maybe going forward? A little bit of a tone change for the WTA? I mean, it was all ego all the time in 2022. She's still on top of the rankings by a considerable amount, but she took a tough loss in the round of 16 to Rybakina. What does it mean for Rybakina? Sabalenka, Iga, owns uh, Pagula, who was close again, but no cigar in the quarters. Carolyn Garcia, um, Zachary. I mean, does it change the landscape a little bit? Well, I think you got to look at going into Iga's best surfaces, Clay. That's where you'd really have to see her get knocked off for me to... Th- I mean, she's still... Iga, you know, after what she did, I can't write her off after one tournament, of after what not. she did. I mean, Rabakina played great. To me, if you go back to that match, the first game, she's up 40 love. Rabakina hits two return, just brilliant down the line. And I think that just rocked her mentally, where she's like, wow, if she can do this to my second serve, I'm going to be in trouble today. So I think what it did was it gave other the other women who are contenders, it gave them a window into this is how you got to play or you got to attack that second serve. You got to be able to take it down the line. The return, that's exactly what Pagula did. She took it early and beat her to the punch because you don't want to be rallying with her too much. She's so great on the move. She's such a great athlete. So I, I think it gave them a window into this is how you got to play her. Now it's up to her to adjust. And the intriguing factor for me is how is she mentally going to stand up now this stretch where she's got a ton of points that where she's basically undefeated. You know, there's something yeah. so you, can't expect her to, you can't expect her to run the table again. So yeah. how will she... How will she handle that if she takes some early losses or even some final losses? That's going to be interesting. And conversely, like you said, 
does this fall? I mean, it's unbelievable that Rabak and a Wimbledon champion was number 22 seed at this tournament. You're not going to see that. That was, in, that was an inconvenient draw, wouldn't you say? Exactly. And it's not going to be, I don't think she's going to be like Radakanu going out yo-yo, and she's going to be right hovering right near there. So she's always going to be a threat on the faster courts. And just Sabalenka, can she stay healthy and just keep believing and keep doing what mm-hmm. she's doing? If she can play at this level, I mean, watch out. And she has the desire to play. You could tell she wants to play. She wants to compete, and that's great. Yep. Uh, there isn't really a, a very thick book on how to defend a 37-match winning streak out there. I'm sure was, right. I mean, she can talk to a few people about it. <laughs> well, she's got Rafa's number, so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> no, I think Ike is going to be fine. She, and, uh, you know, she's the favorite on the clay. She, I think she's the favorite at every slam still. And she's but... so young. She's so young, and she just wants to unlock more of her. But she wants to get better. I mean, she it's going to make her better. You yeah. know, it's definitely going to make her better. But it is going to be a challenge to her, I think, mentally, emotionally, and tactically. How is she going to answer? You got to do something with a second serve if they're going to do that to you. Yeah, for sure. Yep, it'll it'll be interesting to see. And then, um, you know, for the other players, maybe they chipped away a little bit at her aura. And I think that's a good thing for the tour and a good thing for the other players, just to have a little bit of that air of invincibility taken down a bit. So when, like, you know, when Coco faces her, when Owens faces her, you know, I think not only Rybakina's victory, but also Pagula's win at United Cup maybe helped chip that away a little bit. You know, a little belief is always a nice thing to have in the locker room before you head out. Um, but, yeah, is amazing, and I can't wait to see how she bounces back and 21-year-old world number one with 10,485 ranking points, which is a lot more than number two, Sabalenka's 6,100. So she's safe for a while, but as you said, they'll start coming off quickly if she doesn't stay you know, on top of her game. So that'll be a very interesting storyline to watch as we get into you know, tennis in February, which is already happening, and then, and then of course, the uh, Sunshine Double and then the clay season. So there's tons, tons to look forward to. Um, there's other things we can talk about. I wanted to touch base briefly with you, Richard, about the little bit of controversy around the Rabakina's coach. By the way, welcome to the top 10 Rabakina. It's about time, obviously. She should have been there far sooner, but didn't get those Wimbledon points. So it's nice to see her jump 15 spots to number 10. I suspect she can go higher pretty soon. But her coach, Stefano Vukov, was kind of under fire in, in social media based on the way he was treating Rabakina while she was on court and also off court. I've heard some stories about him treating her kind of in a certain way, shall we say, during practice. Pam Shriver pointed it out, was front and center, and uh, Stubbsy, Renee Stubbs, had some negative things to say about the way he was treating, and people seemed to really um, relate to it on social media where they were jumping in saying, please get the camera off this guy. It's annoying. Some, after the criticism, some... Um, personalities came to her defense. Dmitry Tursunov, who's now coaching Belinda Benchitz, kind of took some shots at Pam Shriver saying, you should stay out of this. This is premature. You don't know the full story. You can't just judge a person based on how you know, he reacts to his players, misses on courts. And, of course, he's not the only one that has negative reactions to a player on court. So I just thought it was a kind of an interesting and thing that maybe we should discuss a little bit. I don't really know where we go from here. I guess my only really conclusion is that if – Vukov is, is being the way that people say he's being, and clearly he is. That's why there's some scuttlebutt probably among players that are on the know and that are around the practice courts and that see him on day in, day out. They feel that he's being a certain way that's not conducive to pr- productive growth for Rybakina. If that's the case, if people feel that way, I think it's more than fine for him to hear about it. 
what I don't think is fine is maybe for him to be prematurely slandered or labeled as something that maybe he isn't. So I think that it could be good for, for the pair to, to know that people are watching and think and this negativity between the two when, during the matches is the thing that maybe isn't so productive or isn't it looks a little weird. Um, but I just hope he doesn't get slandered too much unless there's some legitimacy to it, I guess is my conclusion on it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing that something like this comes to light. I mean, it's obviously a huge distraction for her, although I don't know, based on her statement, if she was that aware of it during the tournament. So, I mean, it is, yeah, I mean, obviously it's not a great thing for the player, but I don't think in general it's a bad thing to talk about it and just get different points of view. I mean, Pam Shriver has almost 50 years in the game, and also she had gone public with her situation with her former coach, Don Candy, who she had an affair with while he was still married. She's been really vocal about trying to help, uh, you know, players today not go through you know, a similar circumstance where there's a sort of an imbalance in the relationship. Power, the power of, dynamics, right? Right, exactly. And in no way am I saying happening with a vodka. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, you know, you got to be sensitive when someone who's lived through it and who's seen it up close says it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's good to be aware of it. And at least look, the flip side is you never, ever want to see someone trashed or their career destroyed over just, you know, gestures or, you know, if he... I mean, it's his, it's, his, it's his whole life. Tennis. You don't want to see him trashed or, or destroyed over something like that. But I think it is good to bring it to light and get people talking about it. To hear Tursunov's take is interesting. And to hear Pam Shriver, Renee Stubbs, I heard her talk about it as well. And she felt it was stuff she had seen during practice. Now, I don't know exactly what that was, if that's the way he speaks to her, if it's profanity, if it's just just I don't know, if it's just a negative vibe. I, I just don't know. So for me to say specifically but i i think in general it's not bad to talk about it i think it's just the more you talk about it the more you sort of understand the, the dynamics between player and coach I, you got to be sensitive to him though you don't want to see somebody just throwing aside you know if it's not true if it's just hey the guy is a little loud or is a little aggressive i was going back to stuff i remember talking to nick Terry many many years ago when it like 20 years ago and i and he said to me something i'll never forget he said you know the coaching of the game as far as the technique and the tactics he goes it's not that complicated especially now because it's a baseline game you don't have to deal he goes what's where it really comes down to is human relationships and understanding how you yeah. talk to how you talk to someone how you treat someone and how you give them information that's going to help them he goes that's really what coach is is a really good communicator so uh, i don't know i mean that's saying a lot i don't know if i've really said anything yeah. but I, I agree exactly with what you said earlier that you, it's okay for it to come to light and i, and I am intrigued when i hear the different points of view like bench and yeah. personal they stare there on the tour every day so they're they're there they see it up close so their their perspective is valid yeah and i think pam's shriver's heart is uh, clearly oh, in the sure. right place 
as is Stubbsies. And, and I, Pam, and Pam was working with Vekic at Australia. Vekic got to the – I mean, Pam knows what she's doing. She definitely knows the game. There's no doubt about that. And I think her, her concern, it comes from the heart, and it comes from her life experience. I don't think she wants someone else to go through that, and we're not saying that's happening here. Yeah, and, and I think Tursanov's um, heart is in the right place when he defends right. Vukov, and I think if Vukov's heart is in the right place, he'll listen to the criticism – and they'll move on, and maybe maybe it'll make him a better uh, communicator slash coach. I mean, there's the, coaches need to be tough on players. There's no doubt about sure. that. But it's really the optics and how you do it, and and how you treat your player as a human. I mean, there's more than just tennis. It's humanity at stake here, and so sure. you know, stuff needs to be be ironed out. And um, it's a little bit of an unfortunate controversy, and hopefully things won't nothing. Uh, and hopefully things will improve from here. Maybe it'll turn out to be a positive sort of controversy. And also, I just want to say about her as a player, and this has nothing to do with the sort of emotional side of it, she has really, really good technique, so if he taught her that technique, or helps define and refine that technique, he, I mean, he knows what he's doing, because her technique is really good, in my opinion. I'm not a coach, but yeah. she does things really well. And the other thing I want to just about her is people get on her because she doesn't fist pump she doesn't yell i think that's a pretty i think that's a strength of hers because you saw when that match got tight she didn't freak out she wasn't throwing stuff i mean she was just there i'm here to compete and she pushed it all the way to the last point getting those break points and i think it's a strength i hope she doesn't change that about her that she's this sort of calm you know, demeanor about her, like I'm just gonna play through it all, and and I and I hope she keeps that. I don't. I hope she doesn't start throwing fist bumps. Yeah, I, I like the way she approaches it. I think it's her temperament is really good for her for her style of play yeah, she's, because she's gonna make errors because she goes for it. Yeah, she's uh, she's icy cool out there. She's she's pretty amazing in that regard for sure. That's why it's so impressive that Sabalenka was able to overcome her. She had to be super calm to do it. Well, here's what she said in her in her Instagram statement. I don't, I don't know. Um, she felt the need that she had to go public with it. She said she wants. I want to clarify any misinterpretations. Stefano has believed in me for many years before anyone else did. We plotted a strategy together and how I could achieve great things. And his method shows in my Grand Slam success so far. Well, that's clear. He's a passionate coach with a lot of knowledge about tennis. Unlike people that are making these comments, he has great knowledge about me as a person and as an athlete. Those who know me well will know that I would never accept a coach that didn't respect me and all our hard work. I may be quiet on court and in general, but inside me is a competitive athlete that wants to achieve great things, and Stefano has helped me greatly in this way. So please disregard any fake news to the contrary is what she said. So she has pretty strong feelings that everything's um, copacetic in that group. I think I lost Richard, so... Let me, uh, are you there? Yeah. My oh, good. Phone just, there. good. Just flashed there. Oh, you didn't yeah. miss anything. I just read her statement, which is, you know, pretty adamant that everything's hunky-dory in that team. And, you know, a young woman may, may, may not realize what kind of things are happening. It's tricky, right? There are examples of really um, coach-player relationships that have gone awry and been ignored and, and gotten worse over the years, so. Anyway, it was just worth mentioning. Yeah, and maybe about. maybe the spotlight will make them both become more aware. Maybe they'll they'll sort of recalibrate as well. If, yeah. if that needs to happen, if that needs to happen. Yeah, I don't think that Vukov has really been slandered in, in this sense. I think that things are, you know, there's more of a spotlight on them. People are aware, and it's something that they need to talk about. And, and maybe in this case, I think that that's probably productive, right? That's what. Well, interesting. Not in the way that tennis intended, but it does make the uh, ability to player and coach talk a lot more interesting now. Yeah. You know, although it's 
not it's not what they wanted. I'm sure they wanted it to be more to, you know, it does make it more like, wow, let's see what's going on. This guy's going to be watched a lot. Too. Yeah. <laughs> True, yeah. A lot of coaching uh, uh, coaching is a, big, a bigger part of the television broadcast. What are your thoughts on that? Maybe that's the last subject to discuss. Uh, has it changed your um, your viewing experience or your journalism experience? Uh, it makes me definitely pay attention more, although I'm in New York and it's in Melbourne, so I don't have the luxury to sit there. You know, I'm at the mercy of the ESPN3 or, you know, the feed. So, but I'd say in a weird way, I did think it helps Sitsipas because his father likes to chatter and his box yeah, likes to sure. chatter and they're able to do it now. So maybe that, maybe that, this was his first final after falling at the semi-stages, maybe it helped him. Uh, with Sabalenka, I thought the box was relatively silent and calm. Like, I mean, they definitely were giving her the fist on big points, but I felt that that was within. I thought it was her inner strength that got her across the line. I mean, not to. I mean, I'm there at the bottom. I'm sure they they do a great job, but I thought during the final itself, it was from her. It came from within. Yeah. So, how are the rules different now that you're allowed to coach, but within reason, you're not able to? Right. Gap I'm on that end where you, when you're at the end so the guy can't yell he can't be at one end and yell all the way across he's going T <laughs> yeah you gotta serve T here <laughs> oh he's how about five backhands in a row he can't hit a slice back yeah. <laughs> how about um, Brad Stein telling <laughs> no, Tommy Paul watch for the underarm serve it's coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah I remember uh, Brad, uh, Tommy Paul's match against Shelton he, Paul was just at a loss at how to deal with Ben Shelton's serve which is uh, quite incredible we must say right yeah. But and he, yeah. he, he turns to his coach and Brad Stein seemed 100% convinced that he was going T so he gave him the signal and then of course uh, it, it turns out that Shelton was watching the whole interaction and said okay now they're looking for me going T so I'll just go wide you know, it was kind of a funny moment of how the coach, the whole coaching thing can backfire, and they, they all, everybody got a laugh out of it. So I guess in, in terms of entertainment, it's helping. I don't know. To me, it's the same game, and maybe yeah. maybe there's a little bit more entertainment, and maybe you're right. It does help players like Sitsipas, who clearly kind of maybe he doesn't need it, but his dad does. So maybe there's more of a a, a, vi- a better vibe in the team that um, Apostolos can yap his way through a match now, like without getting in trouble. So I mean, that's definitely. He doesn't feel the stress from the family because they have the stress relief to talk. <laughs> yeah. Cause they know? know it's going to be okay. Right. They're not going to. I mean, I asked uncle Tony before they changed the rule about it. And he said, he said to me, the thing that's always weird is you're in a stadium with 20,000 people and I'm the only guy that's not, he goes, that's just so weird. It's just so unacceptable that yeah. every other person can yell stuff except for me. He goes, why? You know, it makes no sense. So I guess I get to kind of see it from that perspective. My thing is, like, really technically, what are they going to tell you? Like you said before, they're either going to, well, you serve T wide or body. There's only three choices. You're either going to play the guy's forehand or backhand or occasionally down the middle. I mean, it's not that complicated where you need somebody to tactically hold your hand, but I think it's more the emotional support. And you saw that with Djokovic where, you know, with getting stressed a little bit in the final but hey Goran's a strong guy man Goran will give it right back to you so I think that's good that he has someone that is will stand his ground but he's there to hear it and like Goran said after hey whatever he says it's all good as long as he wins they <laughs> told him if you don't win it's not all good yeah, <laughs> that was a great great comment from Goran yeah, as long as you win you can say anything to me if you don't win it's not okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah he took so much heat from the, from the <laughs> but, yeah yeah but you saw it at the end just the way the box 
you know, joke that. And he got. I also this the strength of the Serbian fans. I thought was was uh, was big for him too. Yeah. Oh, they were out in numbers and not just in yeah, the stadium. They were. there were like the, the twenty, thirty thousand fans outside the stadium, right? Oh yeah, they came to play. Yeah, very cool. Um, Richard, let's wrap it up. Let's come back and talk in a couple months or a couple weeks rather. Once we get some more more tennis under our belts. But for now, that was great. I appreciate you chatting a little Aussie Open. Um, before, before we hang up, you got anything to add? The only thing I'll say, this is our only conversation we've ever had about Australia where we both weren't groggy or over-caffeinated, where we were actually just at a normal pace, and I still talk too much. But uh, it was a great tournament. I wish we had got to talk more about people like Sheldon, like the Americans had a great tournament, Tommy Paul, stuff like that. But, oh, hey, yeah. there's always, we can, we can come there's back always the next time. There's always the next well, episode. Actually, let's plan on that for a couple of weeks. We'll do an American breakdown because, you know, it should be mentioned that there's now 10 Americans in the top 50. That's that's insane. That's twenty percent of the top fifty from USA, and most of it's them are twenty five or younger. Yeah. It was a great and Australian. I'll tell you, after seeing the tournament, when you see them take out the top two seeds, Mackenzie take out Nadal yeah. and Jensen Burksby take out Rude, and then you see what quarter he's right on. You feel he's on the verge, at least on hard court. You know he's getting close. Yeah. It's really exciting, and like you said, Ben Shelton. Wow, what an electric player, and the interaction with the crowd, the try everything about it, it was just so much fun. Yeah, Ben Shelton is, you know, it's 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 early days, right? It's his second major appearance. He's got like what twelve, thirteen matches under his belt, but he jumps up to number forty-four in the world. We're gonna see him any tournament he wants to play. We're gonna see him in the main draw and get familiar with how he how he does as a traveler, how he does on clay and grass. It's gonna be a fun yeah. season for that. JJ Wolf is up in the top fifty. Yeah, he's up yeah. at thirty-eight. Although it looks like he maybe has a little bit of a wrist injury. And, uh, I think he pulled out of Dallas or something, or something. He pulled out of something, so hopefully he'll get healthy soon. And he'll, you know, Indian Wells is going to be very fun for the Americans. They always like to show up stateside and do some damage. But let's come back and maybe talk more about that as a as a whole as a whole story and a whole podcast in a couple of weeks once they uh, get a few more tournaments under our belt. And in the meantime, I'll bid you farewell. We needed three days to recover just to do this podcast. Maybe another three days to uh, catch up on our sleep, and then we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you, Richard. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro, as always, for joining and for his insights. Great conversation right there. You guys know where to find us on the web, www.tennisnow.com. You can also find us on social, where we're always active, facebook.com slash tennisnow, on Twitter, at tennis underscore now. And we'd love it if you find this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Just Google Lucky Let Court Podcast, and voila, you should find us. We'd love it if you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We're trying to pump it out every week for you guys, bring on some different guests when we have the opportunity to do that. We hope you enjoy the tennis chatter. We hope you enjoyed the Australian Open. It's now over. Get some sleep, everybody, but don't forget to keep it tuned to the ATP and WTA tours while you're doing that. Get your headphones in while you sleep. Got to get that tennis in, everybody. All right, see you guys next time. Thank you again for listening. It means a lot.